Good morning, everybody. We are now in week three of our Joseph series, and if you were with us last week, then you got to see one of the more interesting stories of Joseph, where he was kind of seduced by Potiphar's wife, but was thankfully a man of integrity, said no, but sadly got sent to prison for it out of Potiphar's wife's lies. And so Rob taught us last week that when life gives you compromise, that you're supposed to stay rooted in your faith. And so today we're going to pick up right where Rob left off last week. So if you will, uh, let's throw the QR code back up on the screen for just a second. If you're not following me in the notes that we have available through the QR code, I highly encourage you to take out your camera, scan the QR code, follow, me, follow along with me in the Bible app because there's all sorts of scriptures and stories we're going to be hopping through in Genesis chapter 39, 40, 41. It's going to be a lot easier to follow along that way. So if you would scan that QR code. And you can read the scriptures right along with me. But we find Joseph, and we're picking up on our story with Joseph, right in the beginning of him being put into prison. So he gets arrested. Potiphar sends him off for allegedly seducing his wife, even though we know it was the other way around. And so he's thrown into prison. But, of course, when Joseph goes to prison, as you've probably seen through this story, God still blesses him in the position that he is placed in. And so even though he's in prison, he's put in charge of tons and tons and tons of prisoners where he is. And so we'll pick up in Genesis chapter 39, verse 23, and here's what we see with Joseph's position. It says that the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And so the guy who's in charge of the prison basically ignores Joseph because he trusts him to lead whatever he's in charge of. He knows that Joseph will take care of literally everything that is under his leadership. We see that God continues to bless Joseph all the way through this, but I'm left wondering a question, something we haven't quite asked yet when it comes to Joseph, and that's why. Why did God choose to bless Joseph? You see, Joseph wasn't that special of a person. In fact, if you look at the, the order of being born, back then he would have been considered the least favorite because he was the last son born. And he's not from the holy lineage of Jesus. You see, there's, there's a path that we can trace all the way through the history of Israel that ultimately leads from Adam to Jesus. And yet, Joseph isn't a part of it. Judah is, one of his brothers. So what in the world then is it that makes Joseph so special? Why does he get blessed? And I think we're going to see this today. Because as Joseph continues to, to fall through the pits further and further down in the way life goes, the more it seems that God is near him. And so we find Joseph in this prison, but he's not alone. Today's story is a little bit interesting because we're following in, in Genesis chapter 40, and we find Joseph along with two new inmates. You see, any king, any leader, Pharaoh of Egypt especially, had no problem throwing people into prison just because they got upset with them, just because they were angry. Maybe they said something that was upsetting. Maybe they just looked at the Pharaoh funny. Whatever it was, they ultimately got sent people to prison all the time. And so Joseph finds in his care two people that were in the king's court, his cupbearer and his baker. Two, might I add, very important people. One is in charge of making sure the king does not get poisoned because he would always drink the cup before the Pharaoh did. The second guy made bread. Let's all be honest. Your bread maker's really important. 
I can't live without bread. I know probably many of you can't live without bread. So it's hard to say Pharaoh would live without bread very long. But he just probably got a new baker, luckily for him. So he throws these two guys in prison, and something strange happens. Not strange in like what actually took place, but strange in their reaction, at least how we would read it today. If you're looking at Genesis chapter 40, you'll notice that both of these men have a dream. And they're a little bit of an odd dream. One of them has, turns into a tree, and there's all sorts of fruits that blossom from their tree. And the other is carrying a basket on his head, and birds are eating from this basket on his head. Now, if any of you guys or myself had either of those dreams, we would wake up in the morning and think, huh, that was odd. Maybe you tell your spouse about it or tell somebody about it, or most likely if you're anything like me, you forget about it. You just put the weird dreams to the side and don't even worry about it. But it says that these two men were distraught by their dreams. Because back then, dreams carried a lot more significance. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of Joseph's story, he had a dream that his brothers would bow to him, and that's ultimately what led to him being thrown into the pit and into slavery, so on and so forth. And so these two guys have a dream, and they're wondering what in the world could these dreams mean. They're distraught about it. But Joseph comes along and offers to interpret the dreams for them. And so to the cupbearer, who turned into the tree and had all sorts of blossoms come from it, he says that in three days you'll be called back up to your position, and you will grow in that position in prestige and leadership. However, then the baker's like, oh, that's a great dream. I want to know what mine means. I want to know what mine means, basically. Sadly, the baker's dream doesn't have as good of an outlook because while one is elevated to his position and further, the baker is elevated to his position in three days and then beheaded. Joseph has the, the, the duty of delivering this dream interpretation to the baker, which I'm sure only depressed him. But the key to this story is not the crazy dreams. It's what Joseph says to the cupbearer. Look, in verse 13 of chapter 40, he says, In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and then you shall place the Pharaoh's cup in his hand as you formerly did when you were his cupbearer. Here's the key. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so, Get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. He's basically saying, I'm not even from this land. I shouldn't be here. Furthermore, I didn't do the thing that got me here, so please, when you were sitting next to the king, when you're sitting next to the Pharaoh, please do something to get me out of here because I have done this for you. So, just as Joseph interpreted the dream, it happens for the cupbearer. And so for the baker, but we won't worry about him so much at this point. Verse 20 says, And on the third day, just like Joseph had said, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief, chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Yet, look at verse 23, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. How many of you guys have been in a situation like this where you feel like you've done everything right? You've done what you were supposed to. You planned like you were supposed to. You put the communion cups out like you were supposed to. All those things you did like you were supposed to, and still it didn't happen the correct way. Things did not go according to plan. Things did not measure up the way you thought it would. Maybe you seep into a depression because of this, Maybe you're not quite in the frame of mind you're supposed to be. 
maybe you hit rock bottom, even though you felt like you've done all the right things that you were supposed to do. I imagine that's the way that Joseph had to feel in this moment. All he did was tell his brothers about his dream, and they hated him for it. All he did was serve Potiphar the way he was supposed to, and he got thrown in prison for it. He helped those who were under his care in prison, and yet he gets stuck there. Not just for a few days, not just for a few months, but look at verse 1 of chapter 41. It says, after two years, Pharaoh dreamed. Now we'll get to the rest of that in a moment, but that means he was stuck there for two more years. After doing everything right up to this point, he is still stuck in prison. Whether he's in charge or not, he is still in a prison for two whole years. What would your mindset be like in that moment when you've done nothing wrong and yet you're being punished for it? In your life, when you've done everything right and yet it just seems like life keeps throwing you lemons, what do you do? Well, I think we've got to learn one, one preliminary thing from this story that really rounds out the rest of it and really sums up a lot of what Joseph's learning throughout his life. And it's a, a, an important lesson that I've learned as well. God's timing is not our timing. They are very, very different things. And we see this throughout the Bible. This isn't just like a present-day issue. This happens time and time again in the Bible, what people are expecting to happen. Look at Noah. We'll start with him. Noah's told, hey, go build a boat because it's going to flood. I know you don't know what that looks like. I know you don't know what rain is just yet. But it's going to happen. You're going to need to build a boat. Now, just by show of hands, how many of you have been to, like, the Ark Encounter in northern Kentucky? A few of you. Massive boat, right? That still took a long time in present day to build that giant boat. There were big teams involved. There were power tools. All sorts of big things went into building that Ark to scale in northern Kentucky. Moses had himself, three sons, and some old-school saws and chisels. How long do you think it took him to build that boat? A long time. Years. So as Noah built this boat, years and years probably go by. People are making fun of him because they too have no idea what rain is. They're like, what are you building a boat for? We're in the middle of nowhere where there's no water that's going to flood up to this point. Why do you need this giant boat? Guys, people make fun of me for just like a few minutes and I'm quick to back down. Imagine the faithfulness that it took for Noah to continue building the ark for all those years, even though he had no idea what a flood or rain really was or what was going to happen come down the road. He just knew that God told him to do it. That's just the story of Noah. Look at the story of Abraham. Abraham was promised children, and for years those children did not come. He even tried to go his own way, try to do things his own way in order to have a child. But ultimately, he stuck with what God told him to do, he has children. The best example, honestly, are the Israelites being freed from Egypt. Do you realize how long that took? After the story's over with Joseph, the Israelites ultimately get enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Guys, that means there were people praying for their deliverance through generations. Could you imagine being like the third generation in Egypt, praying that you would be delivered, and your entire life is spent praying for that and it never happens? Or look at the story of David. 
David is anointed, if you read the beginning of Samuel, as the future king of Israel, and yet never sees it until he's almost killed by the current king multiple times. Or I'll bring you something even more near and dear to all of us because we're all still waiting for it. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he said that he would be back soon. That was 2,000 years ago. There's been many generations that have come and gone expecting the return of Jesus, yet never to see it again. It is very clear that God's timing is different from our timing. I've learned this in my own life as well. Slightly funny version of this, as many of you all know, Kayla and I have been building a house for over a year now. Not like us, like sticks and stones out there building it ourselves. We've been watching somebody else build our house for over a year. When we first signed the contract, Caroline, you were there. The, uh, the date said April 1st. It's well past April 1st, guys, and I'm still not in my house. We've been waiting a long time. But we've been fine. We've been with our in-laws for a year. They may not say the same thing that I do, but it's been fine. We've had a roof over our head. We've had food to eat. They got to spend time with grandkids. It's all good. But we've seen this in our life over and over again where we're waiting on something to happen that just doesn't seem to come when we want it to. We spent six years just praying to give you all grandkids. We spent a ton of time hoping and waiting for kids. Some of you all know the full story of what happened in those six years. Because first of all, I told my wife, I'm not ready to have kids until I'm 25, and then when, we have, well, then when I reach 25, we'll have as many kids as we need. That didn't happen. It took six years of praying and a lot of other stuff for us to get to that point. In fact, we brought in twins through foster care into our house. We had them for almost a year. We thought, oh, finally, this is how God is going to bless us through these beautiful twins. The hardest day of my life up to this point was taking those twins back to the DCBS worker and having to move to a whole new family just so they could be reunited with their brother. You want to talk about being in the bottom. There were several weeks and months. Went to bed in tears. Fell asleep crying. It's tough. Because it didn't just end there. That was 2016. It was November of 2016 when the twins finally went back to their brother uh, to be with another foster family. They needed to go back to their original family. That means for another four years... Kayla and I spent praying, wondering, just like Joseph probably did. We're doing all this stuff right. Why are you doing this to us, God? Why would you put us through this? What What else do we need to do? Not only that, it didn't feel like it, my job was going the way it was supposed to. It felt like I was at a dead end. It really felt for those four years like nothing was going the way it was supposed to. And I tell you this story, and many of you know this story, because you guys have gone through a lot of the same stuff as well. You've been at the bottom. You've hurt. You've probably had several of the same conversations that I have with God. It's like, why? Why am I here? I'm doing what you're telling me to do, but nothing's working the way it's supposed to. If you've been there, you know the struggle. You know the heartache. 
when it feels like God's not working and God's not doing what, his supposed to, what he's supposed to do because the timing just isn't working out. During that time, I repeated three verses over and over and over to myself. And they're probably verses that you guys know as well because Christians share them all the time. I don't know how many of you probably have Jeremiah 29, 11 on some decoration in your house hanging somewhere. For these are the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. My, uh, my roommate in college had Philippians 4.13 tattoos on, on his wrist. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8.28 said it to myself over and over and over again. God works for the good of those who love him. I have these verses written on my heart and I repeated them to myself daily for four stinking years. But what I failed to realize in studying those passages of Scripture, the people that were receiving those words were also suffering as well. Like most of the time we think of the good that's happening there. But do you realize in Jeremiah 29, 11, Jeremiah is writing those words to people who are enslaved in Babylon? Do you realize that in Philippians 4, 13, Paul just got done talking about how he had nothing and he was fine with it because he had Jesus? Do you realize in Romans 8, 28, he, re- he helped all of the Romans to see that they are living and struggling and dying on a daily basis, but if they start to live in the Spirit, they will receive a newness of life. And that's the kind of good that God is working through. So when we're stuck in the waiting, we need to realize that following Jesus might mean that there's some struggles along the way. It might not just be that you reach a a bottom Somewhere you reach one rock bottom and then find another and another and another. It can always get worse. But what I've learned through the course of time is that God is still faithful. In our job in those moments, whether it's through yelling at him, whether it's through being completely honest with him, whether it's being vulnerable with him, it's staying connected to God. Our job is to stay connected to God through all of those moments. Because when, we're, when we stay connected to God, as I'm sure Joseph had to in those two years in prison, he had to stay connected to God. That's how he was able to still interpret dreams. In fact, I'll read it for you in just a moment, but Pharaoh noticed that the whole reason that Joseph is able to interpret his dream is because he clearly had the Spirit of God in him. You don't have people say that about you if you don't stay connected to God. And so our job, whether you're in the waiting, whether you've come through it, whether you're about to go through it, when it feels like God's timing isn't meshing with your own, our job in that moment is to stay connected to him. Because that's ultimately the only way we will see redemption play out in our life. That's the only way we are going to see God's timing come to full fruition it's just how it works i mean i I can remember from the time i was a little kid i got to go to a few revivals when i was younger and since i can remember there's been preachers standing in pulpits all across america saying that our country is in need of revival right we're going down a dark path america's trending towards an evil position but one thing that we need to realize as god's people living in america i would probably agree we are heading in that direction But there's a lot of us in here, maybe all of us, who can spend our entire lives praying for it. And it may not come. 
we may not see America's revival in the church in our lifetime. But it doesn't mean that we should stop praying for it. Because the kids who are sitting in the children's ministry right now, they might get to see it. Their kids might get to see it. So it's our job to stay connected to God, whether we're going to see it in this life or the next. We stay rooted in who he is, stay faithful to him because we know he is faithful with us. That's the story we learn from Joseph. He remembered when God got him out of the pit that his brothers threw him in. He remembered when God elevated his position in every point that he's been through. And so God is faithful yet again. And faithful beyond probably what Joseph ever even prayed for. I want you to see what happens. Because Joseph gets brought out of prison when Pharaoh has a dream. The cupbearer finally has like a light bulb moment. Says, oh, I remember this guy. He interpreted my dream. Maybe he can interpret yours. And so Joseph comes out of prison to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. And here's what happens. He tells them famine's coming, that you need to be ready. And Pharaoh is so blown away by the spirit of God in this man that he decides to elevate him to a new position. And I want you to just grasp what had to be going through Joseph's mind. Imagine that you were Joseph and Pharaoh is saying these words to you. He says, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And then he says to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put gold chains about his neck and garments of fine linen and put, um, I'm sorry, read that line already. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. A boy that was probably a little over 20 years old at this point, who's not even from Egypt, gets sold into slavery, put in prison, and then elevated to second in command in all of Egypt. Guys, that's a story you can't even write. And how amazing God is through working in that. Pharaoh is only, he says himself that Pharaoh is only ahead of him in regards to the throne. That no one will even lift a finger in all of Egypt unless Joseph says so. Tell me God isn't faithful when Joseph had to be sitting in the prison just praying to get out, much less be second in command in Egypt. God is more faithful and generous than Joseph probably ever even imagined. That's why we stay connected to God through all of this. And the final thing we learn, as you can see, God's timing then is perfect. The way God orchestrated this whole event is perfect. Because if Joseph was never sold into slavery, well, he never would have been put into prison because of Potiphar's wife. And if he wasn't in prison at the time that the cupbearer was put in prison as well, then the cupbearer never would have had his dream interpreted 
for him to then be elevated three days after that dream is interpreted next to Pharaoh, where he probably spent the following two years gaining the trust of Pharaoh so that then he could remember to bring Joseph back up to interpret that dream. And all the while, Joseph is just sitting wondering what God's doing. So my question for you guys today is, is God working in your life in ways that you're not even thinking about at this point? Are you stuck in the bottom of the pit? You're curious if you're ever going to get back out? I promise you, God is probably doing things beyond what you can imagine, and he's working on it right now. But your job starts with being connected to him. I opened with the question, why does God bless Joseph? It doesn't make any sense. There's nothing truly special in regards to his birthright or anything else. So why does he do it? Well, he remains connected to God throughout the entire story, as I've told you. He remained a man of integrity over and over and over again. And he was a faithful leader. So what I'm asking you guys to do, what I'm asking myself to do, is when we're, we feel like we're stuck, act like Joseph. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I just want to have uh, a time. We've got one song that we're going to close with today. But I want to encourage you guys. Uh, I think that not having communion ready is going to turn out to be a blessing. Because I know a lot of your all stories. I know the people whose stories who are going to watch this video later. I know that there's a lot of heartache and there's a lot of pain that we've had to endure as a church, as individuals. And so what I want to do for this last song as we go into it, we've got the communion trays up here, and I'm going to invite you guys, if you will, to come grab a cup of communion. You can take it back to your seat if you want to go back to your seat and pray. But we also have, like, all of this space up here in front of the stage. And if you are in that moment right now where you feel like you've hit rock bottom, doesn't feel like you can go any further, but it doesn't feel like God's working. doesn't feel like he's listening. Uh, I want to invite you to come down here, kneel in front of the stage, and take a moment to pray, whether it means you need a, a second to just yell at God and, and, and ask him why he's not working. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. That's the beauty of having your church family here. I will come down here after I'm done preaching, after I'm done praying, and I will pray right alongside of you. Probably other church family members come pray with you. But take a moment, if you need it, to connect yourself to God because it's the only way you're going to make it through. Those four years that I had to endure were some of the hardest that I ever had to experience. But I'm thankful that I stayed connected, that I had people that prayed alongside me, that walked with me through all of it. I want that moment for any of you guys that need it. If you feel like you're fighting alone, you're not. You've got people here that are praying for you. You've got people probably next to you that are praying for you. You've got, I'm offering right now, I'll pray with you if you need it. So we're going to do this last song, and the, the communion set right here. You can come up, grab it again, take it back to your seat. Uh, it's stacked on top of each other like it normally is. Bread on the bottom cup, juice on the top. It's great to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. It's great to know that he died on the cross so that one day we can live eternally with him and the beautiful promise that that is. But I know that sometimes the here and now and the waiting is hard. So let's do it together as a church family. Let me pray for you guys.
Lord, I thank you for this uh, moment. I thank you for this family. I thank you for the church that you instituted to be such a beautiful, uh, beautiful mechanism where we can all be there for each other, where your spirit can entwine us together, where we can pray together, hurt together, love together, grow together, and grow closer to you, Lord. Lord, I pray for the patience of our church as we're waiting to see you move in different ways. I pray for the patience of us as individuals, for anyone who is, is hurting today that feels like they're stuck. Lord, I pray that you will just continue to give them hope. I pray that you will give them uh, a light at the end of the tunnel where they can see uh, the pain coming to an end, whatever it might look like. Lord, I just lift our church family up to you, knowing that you are the one who can bless uh, beyond anything we could ever imagine, guess or request, Lord. So I pray all these things in your son Jesus' name.